Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We're a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host. My name is Alex Falcone. I'm recording today from North Koreatown, Los Angeles, from day 40-something of not getting to do anything fun. Um, I hope you all are doing well and you are all healthy. Um, Quick uh, note before we get started today. Um, One, I've had a couple people reach out and ask where Ezra is. And so just basically to remind you, since the... um, since the uh, lockdown began, Ezra has to spend more time raising his children than normal, and because uh, they're just there now, and so and also he's working full time, and so uh, that has become more difficult. So his ability to balance that and a couple of podcasts has become too much. So he is on um, furlough from Read and Weep for the time being, for the foreseeable <laughs> future. Um, but you can still hear him on uh, the other our spinoff podcast, Pack Your Mic. So if you don't get enough Ezra. And or if you care about the Bravo food show Top Chef, we're about halfway through season 17 over there and it's going very well. So you're welcome to listen to that. PackYourMics.com. Also, um, if you want more of us, uh, the three of us will be streaming again this Friday on Twitch.com slash Space Cats Peace Turtles with our continued crossover project with uh, Hunter's flagship product and uh we'll be streaming some more subnautica so we've gotten into the scary parts we've found we've got a radiation suit so we can try shit we couldn't try before uh-huh and we've fixed some of the tech problems so um and i don't know anything about game streaming but i do know that it has been very fun hanging out with people in the chat so if you want to come just hang out with us while hunter plays a video game that is available this friday at 4 p.m pacific you figure out the math wherever you live and of course you can watch my new four-minute weekly talk show, The End is Night at endisnight.com. If you want to see some of that, I had a fun um, video of the one, me doing the weather this week that I really enjoyed. So, using the Zoom virtual backgrounds to be a weatherman. Um, all right, that's from me. Let me tell you, introduce you to the panel today, of course. Uh, joining me from Southeast Portland, it's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, buddy. How How's you doing? it going? Doing good. I uh, just finished a very large dinner and... Oh. Should not have eaten that second burrito because I'm starting to get very sleepy. Second burrito, uh, it, it hit me real fast. Yeah, I, I am, I am, I'm so in with. I shouldn't have eaten the second blank, but I don't think I've frequently gone to a second burrito. That seems like yeah. an easy one to pass up on. Yeah, I just, I, you know, they're they're not the biggest burritos. We're running low on supplies, so we kind of did what we had. Oh, these I, are homemade burritos. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah these are not okay. then that, that's are, more doable. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are homemade burritos. I sous vide up some steak, which was really good. Oh, uh, and then uh, had some rice cheese and some fresh yes. avocados. It was a, it was a good. For run out of food, that sounds like you're eating like a king. This must be what, uh, what, know, the, what the kings feel like. It is currently Cinco de Mayo. Oh, that's I believe. true. I don't actually know what day it is. No, it really I, is. It really I, is. I just looked at the calendar. Yeah, it's, the, I, it's the 5th of Mayo. And uh, <laughs> I had tacos tonight, but that's just because it's Tuesday. So I did it for the alliteration. But we look at us. We are yeah. culturally relevant. Yeah. My uh, my wife was like, so are you going to make uh, like uh, Mexican food tonight? And I was like, that's a weird question. And she's like, <laughs> well, Cinco de Mayo. And I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm half Mexican. I got to make Mexican food on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> like, Anything as an excuse to know what to eat right now is really nice. Yeah. Uh, even a racist excuse. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. If you just told me it was like in um in Thailand, they celebrate something this Thursday. I'd be like, cool. I'll try to make Thai food then. Just like Thai as Thursday. an excuse. Thai Thursday. Well, that's the problem with uh, stopping drinking, though, 
is that once you quit drinking, you really lose the zest for oh, oh, uh, holidays that yeah. you know you associate with drinking. Yeah, like Mother's Day. Mother's yeah, Day or, after or Fridays. Fridays. Yeah, Fridays. <laughs> hey, yeah. it's always Friday somewhere. That's what I would yeah. always say. That's how know? time zones work. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that is both a healthy drinking attitude and also how time zones work. So it's well, perfect. Hey, time is relative. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's always yeah. It's always Friday somewhere in the space-time continuum is what I meant. It's a flat you know? circle. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Uh, that uh, singing voice, of course, is at Hungry Hunty on Instagram in uh, Bopo, Portland. Yeah. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Yep. I didn't get to have Popeyes today. Instead, I just had Soylent. Uh, I oh. drink Soylent sometimes as meal replacement. It's hipster slim fast, and I'm into it. I'm a big... <laughs> I'm a big boy and I'm trying to lose some of those some of those pounds. Just kidding. I'm I'm actually I probably shouldn't be focusing on losing weight. That'd probably be bad for me. A nutritionist would probably say, if anything, you should probably work on maybe exercising once at least would be good. Yes. Yeah. The once yeah. is really like just it's to like, cross it off your bucket list of anything. Yeah. You know, just try it once. <laughs> Instead of exercising yeah, them, I'm just like, me. oh, I need I need this new like kind of slim fasty type stuff. That's what I'm doing. That's so stupid. That's what I do. Well, um, are you, sometimes the, the the tech world seems to be into it, not necessarily to lose weight, but just to not have to think about what to eat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I think I'm spending so much time at my computer that it does feel kind of convenient, you know, to just have my meal be just like a chocolatey drink that I yeah. drink. But yeah. it does make me feel like I'm trying to lose weight. Like it just automatically does. Um, uh, interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense to me. It just feels no, you, like you probably wrong. shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. No. I've now I've now on the side of um, well, you should not do this. Yeah, no good. Um, before we talk about our movie for this week, let's talk about what else you've watched. Um, Hunter, uh, mm-hmm. I can tell from spying on you that you have not logged any new movies this week. What else have you been watching? Well, so I haven't really been, I, I haven't been watching anything else. Uh, Which well, you would know, actually, by the way, if true. you followed Hunter on Letterboxd, yeah. at, where he is Hunbun. Well, I got kind of movied out because there was that week where I watched like too many movies. Uh, we yeah. had a bunch of me, me and uh, me and my GF had a bunch of double features uh, ah. just back to back, couple couple nights in a row. Um, and Daddy couldn't take any more. Daddy's just been watching uh, first season of King of the Hill, classic, easy Whoa. to love, um, very funny. Yeah uh it's because it's because it's rednecks uh, and i just feel it i when i i see these characters and i'm like oh this is just the people that i'm around and sometimes i feel like i am these people um i mean i think you could that's not just a redneck thing king the hill is a oh, it's super relatable yeah that i feel this is often by people who don't watch it uh like painted with a very narrow brush but mm-hmm. people who are fans know that it's it's a good fucking show. It is yeah. one of the smartest comedies ever made. I think. Uh, wow, just genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. Is yeah. it? Is it having? Is it as fun in the rewatch? Oh, I think it's. I think I'm enjoying it more. So I watched it when I was a kid, yeah. and uh, never really rewatched it uh, since then. Uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. When I was a kid, though, I got a little. I felt a little weird because uh, when I would watch it, I would kind of think that I was Bobby Hill. Like just a lot. I just kind of felt like I was that type of kid. Bobby Hill will be playing video games and he was just kind of uh, surrounded by super masculine rednecks, but felt kind of like not 
part of that world, mm-hmm. um, which is totally a hundred percent related to that. Um, I've also been playing uh, the uh, Elder Scrolls game, uh, Oblivion, the fourth Elder Scrolls game, the one before uh, Skyrim. You know about Skyrim, right, Alex? <laughs> I have heard the the, the name. Skyrim you know about and, the rim of the sky. The... And my understanding is that here's all I know. Uh huh. That there are the people who do Skyrim don't do a lot of the other games, and they sometimes the two groups don't always get along. Yeah. Oh, well. And I'm part of the group that doesn't like Skyrim. So I hate it. I'm hate playing it. Um, (laughs) It barely runs on my computer. My computer is awesome. And my it just can't handle (laughs) running this game from 2005 because the game is so stupid and was made (laughs) with like the hands, the care that the people that made the game uh, had with it. Well, they just didn't care. Basically. I mean, all Elder Scrolls games are made on technology that was just in the office when they moved in already. Yeah, just mm-hmm. some old cryptic. It's a bunch of Cobbled scotch together. tape and yeah. uh, popsicle sticks. Is what all. I mean, it's kind of impressive just to get that much out. What, uh, out of give me a you quick know. give me the quick like three sentence summary of the game Skyrim. So you were the Dragonborn, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm I like the that you went right to a lore explanation yeah. too. Well, it's either Dragonborn. Be Dragonborn or Fu Shou Ra, because that's another thing you do a lot in that game. Like, yeah, that's I have no idea what you're talking I'll, I'll, about. I'll, to expand, you are a uh, you are a special secret person whose special ability is that you can yell at dragons, and that that's it. I can yell at them. You can you have special yells, magical yelling that you do. A dragon will fly overhead and you'll be like, hey, quit it. And then it will quit it. <laughs> like, it's actually kind of amazing. But the dragon oh, is actually Thomas the Tank Engine and he has the Macho Man's voice. That's if you're doing it right. That's yeah, if you're actually and, having a good time. And then you press <laughs> a button and 10,000 wheels of cheese spawn from the heavens. That's okay. yeah. Basically, I am, the Skyrim experience. I was a little lost. Now I am very lost. Um, all right, moving on. Anthony, mm-hmm. what have you watched this week? One uh, thing. Preferably. Yeah, I'm going to talk about one thing. Calm, calm your horses, Alex. All right? <laughs> calm them horses. Yeah. Okay. Well, better get hey, some of that horse armor for Oblivion. You know what you I mean? Did a, you did a good, um, your magical yell for me to quit it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I have quit it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about something a little bit uh, different this week. I, I did watch a few movies, but I also went down uh, this very long rabbit hole from this YouTube channel. I want to make sure I get their name right. It's called Twin Perfect. And they're like a film, television, video game uh, uh, um, analysis and review channel. I didn't watch a lot of their content, but what I did watch is they have a lot of Twin Peaks content. And they have uh-huh. one four-and-a-half-hour video that's <laughs> Twin Peaks Explains. For wow. Video, uh, followed by two addendum videos that are about another <laughs> two hours each. So I watched those this week. So Twin you know, Perfect is related to Twin Peaks. The name is like they are. No, because the Twin Peaks stuff is new. They've been doing oh. it for a long time. So there I don't could have know. been a long con. Yeah. But so they have this video when they kind of have this sort of unified theory in which is like a prism to view the 
uh, meta narrative structure and um, story of Twin Peaks. It's very interesting uh, if you're someone like me and is interested in this type of stuff. I have this video recommended to me by a friend, and I started it, thought I would chip away a little bit at it over like a week. I ended up watching it all in about like a day and a half. Um, no kidding. So, yeah, that was interesting. Um, but so, I, I will say that if you go to their channel, their first video is called Why You're Wrong About Batman I, v Superman. I want to yell yeah, yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, trust I me. I, I watched those videos. So much. Yeah. I watched that video, and I really disagree with their criticism of that. So far from everything else on their channel, I would say I probably disagree with it. But this Twin Peak one, I thought was pretty well done. So I'm not. Rec- I don't. I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to like immediately bring them up just to shit on the rest of their output. Right. Right. So right. I'm trying to say they. I was introduced solely through this Twin Peaks video, and I found it pretty interesting. Um. And sort of, I thought like his sort of take and his prism in which he basically lays out his his sort of key that unlocks every mystery in Twin Peaks, and then just sort of goes through them all. It's very interesting. But would you say uh, that he is right? Uh, I would say. I mean, it's you know, like most Lynchian works, it can just. I don't want to say he kind of pits it as uh, this is the interpretation, and he has a lot of evidence to back that up. I don't think it's very fair to say yours is more right than anyone else. Uh, but I definitely really enjoyed his take. But so if uh, I watched Twin Peaks, I would be angry, probably. If I then watched this unconscionably long video, would I like it more the way I did with the other Lynch that we did on the show? Well, I mean, Twin Peaks is a very different thing than Mulholland Drive. But right. I also think Twin Peaks is genius on its own, so I can't say. But you would need to watch Twin Peaks Season 1 and 2, the movie Firewalk with me, and then Twin Peaks Season 3, The Return. Which, on a side note, Twin Peaks Season 3, The Return, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, easily the best movie of 2017. (laughs) The only 18-hour movie I've ever seen that I really enjoyed. Uh, That movie fucks real hard. But anyway, the reason why I brought this up uh, the reason why the sort of the long walk to get to this point is that he has a lot of quotes from David Lynch in there. And there was one quote that really stuck with me. I feel like I've heard this before, but I just forgot it. And I feel it's very apropos to the conversations we've had, especially about sort of ambiguous endings and things that are kind of up to audience interpretation. David Lynch. Well, David Lynch was asked about that. He was asked about the idea of adding closure to, uh, like, twin. This is in specifically in the context of season three of Twin Peaks, and you know, they asked if they were going to get closure in this, and he responded, "Closure. That I keep hearing that word. It's the theater of the absurd. Everyone knows that on television, they'll see the end of the story in the last fifteen minutes of the thing. It's like a drug." To me, that's the beauty of Twin Peaks. We throw in some curveballs. As soon as a show has a sense of closure, it gives you an excuse to forget you've seen the damn thing. Um, And that's the quote. And that got me thinking a lot. I mean, I feel like Hunter and I have kind of danced around that, but I feel like David Lynch in his very abrasive way really kind of gets to the point of what we were saying. And I really like the way of explaining it that way, that when things have a nice, neat bow on them, they it does kind of give you an excuse to forget you interacted with it at all, 
right? Right. To wa- forget you watched it. To forget you experienced it. You've been given a shorthand point, and now the point is like your reward for having watched it. Watching it was not the reward in and of itself. Actually, we were trying to communicate this one little thing that if you just skipped to that, you would have gotten the point and now you're done. Yeah, so you agree, you know, Hunter, this is like, uh, you, you consider this amendment to your argument friendly? Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I think that that's, yeah, that's a and great way to put it. It's what I think is it really works in the example of Twin Peaks. Because if you don't know anything about Twin Peaks, um, and what he pits forward in this video is Twin Peaks was made as like, a reflection of modern TV of the time, which would be the late 80s, early 90s. And it was, you know, where most TV shows, you have a a sort of a person gets killed, some, you know, Madlock or uh, Columbo is going to solve that crime in the last 15 minutes of the show, right? And you're never going to think about the person who died again. You're never going to think of their family or their friends or the life they led. And Twin Peaks is sort of a result of that. It is... This girl, this girl, Laura Palmer, is murdered, and you're never going to find out who killed her. That was the original idea. And it was just going to be these people in this town, uh, and in a lot of ways, and a lot of lynchy um, imagery. But what happens is, is that the studio and the fan reaction was so intense about who killed Laura Palmer, who killed Laura Palmer, that they made them reveal who killed Laura Palmer in episode six of the second season and the show completely went off the rails after that. It gets awful. The whole half, the whole back half of season two of twin peaks, like David Lynch was so angry. He quit the show. He ended up coming back and doing the last two hours, which are two of the greatest hours of TV ever made, but everything in between there, it's just complete garbage. And a lot of that is because the show was never supposed to give you that closure and once it did it was like well what the fuck is the point of this show anymore but i think like twin peaks is the greatest example of like if you give in and give people what they want you know it's that you know people don't know what they want you know you have to give them you know what you know what they need or whatever okay so very interesting um i i will say the thing that irritates me about um if there's closure you can move on with your life um is that I have other things to do, David. Like, I can't... Once I've finished a movie, it might be nice to go back to my life and not have the rest of my life be about this goddamn movie you made. You get two hours of my life. You don't get the rest of my life after those two hours. That feels greedy. Well, but making it about length feels a little bit like... it's. It doesn't... It's not like Twin Peaks is like the longest TV show you could watch. Like it No, is. but he's saying he wants it to haunt me forever, and I it's, would like to be released think, from it. <laughs> I don't think he's saying that. What he's saying is the difference between uh, the way a good meal sticks with you while a TV, disposable TV dinner doesn't, right? There is a difference in... The, well, the quality. Sadly, of those, those, uh, those, those bad ones stick with me a lot longer. Um, anyway, uh, I was super interesting, super interesting. I do want to move on. Um, and I, I want to tell my thing this week, um, which is um, that it is not something that I watched. It's something that I experienced. And I want to share with you guys really quick. Um, I, I've only told the story once since it happened on Thursday. And I kind of like and it was and it took a really long time. So I'll try to do a brief version. Um but um, I got to meet a real life con man on Thursday, Ooh, and the and way I met you him for everything you had. The way I met him was that he tried to con me, uh, and uh, so I was uh, 
I was it was our my uh, my wife and I's 15 year anniversary since our first date, and so we were going we're having our first takeout that we've gotten all of coronavirus. We've been doing all of our own cooking. We're like we're gonna get one fancy meal today. Um, celebrate our anniversary. Anyway, so I'm driving to pick up uh, anniversary meal, and a pickup truck came like came up behind me and just like honked at me a few times. And people in LA honk, and I don't think anything of it, so I ignored him. Eventually, he keeps honking, and then he rolls up next to me in a stoplight and is like, "Dude, your wheels all fucked up. Your car is about to fall apart. You need to pull over now. It's so scary." Um, so I pull off the road, and he comes. He follows me, and he comes out, and he takes a look at it. And he's like, man, there's a this like pin that holds on your wheel and it is broken. And here, let me show you. And he like drives my car forward while I'm on the other side and it like wobbles real bad. So I was like, oh, this is bad. I'm fucked. Everything's fucked. And uh, he's like, well, look, I'm a mechanic. I work. I, I'm at work for a tire company. I might have a part. And so he like goes to his truck and he like roots around. And he comes back and he's like, oh, I've got this pin. Let me try to put it on. And he like we do this stuff and he fucks with the car for a while. And then it is no longer wobbling. So it's like he's done a thing that he said he would do. And then he was like, do you think you could help me out with like, so my boss you know, is going to notice the pin is missing. Um, uh, so can you give me $250 cash? And uh, I do not have $250 cash ever. I've never held that much cash. That's a crazy thing to say. And then he was like, can I, well, can I like, is there an ATM nearby? Maybe I could follow you there. Um, which is also crazy. And I don't even carry my debit card. I was like, there's no... But also, anyway, so that was his. That's his scam, and uh, I had reason to be suspicious before the money. Mm-hmm. At one, because early on, there was one thing he did. This is the 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 key thing early on. Well, and I don't know anything about cars, so he picked me well, I guess. Um, but uh, when he went to show me that the wheel was wobbling, he goes to like get in my car and drive it forward so I can see it because it's like the front front right wheel, and he's like here uh, before he asks for my keys he gets his keys from his truck and hands them to me and then he's like here give me your keys so it was like a trade so i wouldn't think he was stealing my car and if he had just asked for my keys i never would have thought he was stealing my car right right but as soon as he it was like he answered a question too fast that oh yeah exactly before i even thought to ask it and so i was like wait only like why would somebody assume i think he's stealing if i thought he was being like this good samaritan why would i be worried about him stealing my car that he like it was sort of like a smelt it dealt it kind of thing like it was hella suspicious that he was worried that i thought he was stealing my car right right and so at that moment and that's like early on in this conversation at that moment i'm like maybe this is real maybe i'm about to get murdered and so i like called i texted megan and i was like i'm gonna call you and if you could just mute your phone and just listen like i, I i'm everything's fine <laughs> but you just might need to witness something later. So I need you to hear this. So as if I, in case I got murdered, she could like describe what she heard, which is probably horrible in hindsight. Um, but uh, yeah, then there were a bunch of other suspicious things after that, but like it was like on the fence. And then as soon as he asked me for money, I was like, well, I was going to like in my head, I was like, if he really did help, maybe I'll give him $10 by Venmo. <laughs> but like he wants $250 in cash. And I was like, oh, this is clearly a scam. And I, uh, uh, I left, but here, okay. So anyway, I got out of it. We were in kind of a nice neighborhood. So, and I told him, I was like, I have like, I have no money. I have no debit card. Like, there is no like, if you had Ven, if you had PayPal, we could talk. Um, which I would not have like, done anyway. You working with the con man to get like? Well, a- <laughs> well, no, what what I said was, it was like, if you send me a receipt, I can just Venmo you the money. Um, because he he had mentioned that he could get me a receipt when he was trying to convince me to give him cash, which is another thing you don't do a receipt for helping someone out and then hiding it from your boss. Right. Um, that so that, 
was incredibly suspicious. So I was like, but sure, send me the receipt. You know, I'll give you my email address. Email address. You just send me the receipt and I will Venmo you. Uh, and he was like, no, I can't do that. I've been burned before. Just like, well, how often are you helping people <laughs> with stealing parts from your truck? Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, so I, but I, I convinced him to let me go. Anyway, here's the, here's the crazy part. I get home and I'm like, that's, this must be a known con. So I don't, I don't give any money, but I'm like, definitely I was getting conned. Also, I, I was on time to pick up the food. Like I'd been too early anyway, so it worked out great. But I was like, I met a con man. Let me look at the, Google the wobbly wheel scam. And you know, the first thing that comes up, that guy's mugshot. What? That man was a re- The guy who tried to con me in Los Angeles was arrested in 2017 and 2019 running the wobbly wheel scam in Houston, Texas. That's so great. <laughs> it's I, it's possible even that it's not like a hugely common scam except for this guy. Which well, so like, what did he do? I don't understand the scam. So, like, how so did he make your think, wheel wobble? Yeah, great question. So I don't know anything about cars, but my assumption is when he was like looking to see what was wrong, he loosened something so that when he drove it, it looked wobbly. And then when he added his part, he actually just like screwed the screw back on or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just loosened something and then tightened it. That's my theory because it did look wobbly. Um, But uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, Nick Stanley, formerly of Houston, Texas, and his mom used to run a ring uh, running this fucking scam. Anyway, isn't that crazy? It's just it's his. This is yeah, his scam. He's like crazy. famous for the scam. Yeah, definitely make sure you dox him on this show because that's gonna. <laughs> I'm sure that's gonna be great for no, this. Doing, this I'm not telling you his address. I'm just telling you the name of the criminal. He was a criminal, yeah, right? Also, I can like, say that he's still doing it. Like I don't care. Like, and also if you he, googled wobbly wheel scam, you see his fucking mugshot. I'm googling it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So if uh, I mean, I can just show you which one it is because uh, it's just at the top there. But if you if you Google wobbly wheel scam, uh, you can learn more about it, and you can learn about it from Houston. But like um, the story, the I, both the top stories are about him, but the second story I think has his mugshot on it. Um, wow. Yeah. And he also, in my defense, by the way, he looks way more like a criminal in this mugshot than he did in real life. In real life, he seemed nicer. Um, but Oh, the one thing I learned from the story is that he in Houston was robbing old ladies of like $2,000. And so I, there's something about me that he like sized me up and was like, maybe 250 250 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's kind of like a guess your uh, weight just, sort you know, of carny hey, skill. The yeah. pandemic is going on. You well, know, <laughs> everyone's having to tighten oh, the well, belt. You know. So that's another thing. He was wearing a mask. So he's a he's a con man who's like following social distancing rules. And I did um I did kind of mention the thing and he he before I thought it was a scam, I had mentioned the something about the virus and the mask, and he he told me, by the way, don't get the vaccine, it's the mark of the beast. So in addition to oh, being good. a con cool. man, he is also a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> well, you know, a religious fanatic. Uh, yeah, yeah, religious yeah. Fan- yeah, he was like, I'm a Christian. I can't get that vaccine. I believe it is a microchip and the mark of the beast. And I don't know if he understands that book. Well, you know, scamming people, totally not a sin. Because, I mean, that's what, you know, let's <laughs> throw the money in. Church is based off, you know, but uh, yeah. Other, the, the other funny thing was I was, uh, I, I did call, uh, I filed a report the next day. I wasn't going to since I didn't lose any money. But then when I found his photo, I was like, this might be interesting for the cops to know about. Mm-hmm. And 
so I was, and I was telling this, I, I told the cop and he was like, oh, you mean the wobbly wheel scam? And I was like, okay, well, so not all of us had heard of it before. Um, you dick. But anyway, <laughs> he didn't seem to care. And then I said, so I Googled it and I saw the guy's mugshot. Um, and he got way more interested, but I am an idiot and I was nervous, I guess, calling the police. And so I, instead of saying mugshot, I said headshot. Um, that's which the it most technically LA thing you could possibly. I know, isn't it right? Isn't that great? It's, it really is like it's your criminal headshot. That's all it is. It's your this is on your crime resume, right? Your rap sheet that you hand over to directors, aka judges. Yeah, so the, the cop made fun of me for that for sure. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, I was um, really gonna like compliment you on one, not getting scammed, and two, not being a nook about it. But then he had to throw <laughs> that in at the end of the story. So look, man, here's here's the thing I feel about con man and about narking in general, which is that I it, like uh, I love con man uh-oh. in movies and I have always enjoyed it. And then as soon as someone tried to take my money, I was like, this isn't really charming. You're kind of a fucking thief. Yeah, I agree with that. I just <laughs> I wouldn't call the cops on somebody. That's just what you and I, you know, I would differ. like him to not keep taking money from old ladies and i know you're in favor of that but i think he should stop i'm well, not hey, in favor no. of that i just i'm not gonna do help he's them just do not a narc job. he's just yeah. not a narc at all he don't yeah. snitch at all I, for sure i mean there was no part of you that doubted that i was a snitch anyway and i'm but i mostly was just like i'm i'm interested in uh uh what they have to say about this and i like have this and also i kind of want to brag that i did all his work for him Right, right. Like I did the thing. I found the guy's name. Yeah, I didn't have to say like this is Sean in a white truck. I was like, no, here's his real, real name. Here's his picture. He used to live in Houston. Here's his mom's picture. Here's his partner's picture. I think there are anyway. two, two. I have two true things to say about this. First thing, snitches dig graves. That's just true. Okay, <laughs> everybody knows that. All and right, that doesn't even rhyme. I've heard all the rhyming ones. No, snitches dig graves. We, okay. we let's move on. Second thing, it's kind of a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of situation. I think as far as con men go, you know what I mean. You're out there, you're doing your art, but like some, there's going to be collateral damage. You know what I mean? This isn't like some petty thief thing where like maybe he didn't, maybe he learned the error of his ways right away. no he's a con man that's like his job all right so i mean and, yeah you might have to go down because that yeah and wait it's like, sorry which, who, well, you mean i have to go down so he can be an artist no the con man might have to go down. i guess what i'm saying is that snitches dig graves but also if you're a con man probably gonna get snitched on eventually i also True. feel okay, just good. just another thing that i feel like we should really step back i know it's fun to say con man but it's more of a swindler like yeah. a con man to me is a little bit more. It's a little bit more involved. Like it feels like there has to be at least two locations and an outfit change for you <laughs> to agree. be real. And also, con Alex, man, you didn't you, know? you didn't say, but did you fall in love with him? Because no, I, I think that's also I, an important part. Yeah, I did yeah. not. We had some things in common, and we definitely bonded a little bit. Although some of them were lies, probably. But nothing felt sexual or anything. No, like there's no tension, no sexual tension. Uh, I did not. See, fall that's in love not with quite him. a con man either. You know, that's these are that's a fair point. I will say what was kind of con man like to me, besides just a swindler, was that like when he pulled up next to my car and acted concerned, he was a good actor. Like he seemed legitimately worried for my safety, and so that LA, feels like baby. a con. And the other thing, yeah, exactly. You should pass that headshot around. Um, but the other thing is that he, the way this swindle is set up, 
if done properly, you never know you were swindled. Mm-hmm. So if he did this right, if he and and the, the things that he did wrong, I could like I could explain to him all the ways he did it wrong. Um because the things that tipped me off. Uh, but so if he listens to the show, Nick, here's like the things you shouldn't have offered me your keys because it was weird. And also you shouldn't say you were going to weld something because I am aware that a welder is bigger than that box. Like you weren't going to just fucking weld on the side of the road. That was WD-40 for sure. Yeah. Um, and then also follow me to me in ATM is super, super uh, sketchy and also fucking have a PayPal account, man. It's not hard. Anyway. Um, yeah. Create a digital paper trail for yeah <laughs> for your scams. <laughs> That's definitely the way to go. Well, Venmo is like eighty percent of the uses are scams, so clearly it works. But anyway, um, the uh, but the 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 other thing that felt common that was the thing that felt common was like if this works, you just go home and you're like, man, this guy helped me out and like yeah i gave him some money for it but like it was worth it he helped he saved my life you know yeah. and then he saved my ass by doing it so i feel like a swindle is sort of like ah oh, you tricked me i'll get you later and this if i hadn't caught on is like what they what a con man movie would say is like a like like a, a good con man is out of town before you recognize you've been swindled and a great con man leaves whenever he fucking wants right so this guy could have been my friend afterwards and i would have just been like oh that's Sean, the guy who saved me from my wheel thing, because it was right. that well constructed. So that feels like a con and not just a swindle. Dude, you know what? Uh, let's all right. Let's one up his con. So what I would have done is <laughs> no, shush, shush, shush. Uh, so I would have done it and I would have been like, all right, everything's cool. You're good to go. Um, hey, by the way, like my name's blah, blah, blah. Um, here's like my contact information. If you ever want to like if you ever need like a guy, like you ever need a car guy, you know, and then, like, you know, some some time goes by, he hits you up again, you guys get drinks, you know, one thing leads to another, and you kiss you fall him. fall in love? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd do. That's how I'd get people, is... Um, yeah, that would certainly make it a longer con. Wait, I guess it's not actually a con yet. What if we were genuinely in love? That's not a con. Yeah, no, no, but what, he doesn't love you, though. That's the whole thing. Uh, That's the con. It's what, to make- <laughs> what I would have done is pulled you over, not offered you my keys, but got in your car. And then just driven away. <laughs> well, had somebody in the backseat of my car who then yeah. pops up front, and we both just peel out well, of there. So, so he did have, his, his partner was in the, he did have a partner in the truck. Um, his wow. friend was just sitting in the truck this whole time. And so when that was, the, that was what happened was when he gave me the keys, I was like, oh yeah, he could just steal my car. And all, and even now, this doesn't prove it. All it does, I just have some keys, so it's not like, like if he just wanted my car, he's won. He's already gotten me to get out of it, and then he drive away and be like, "Hey, where are you going?" And I wouldn't even said like, "Hey, that you're stealing my car." I'd be like, "Where are you going, Sean?" Like, he would have totally fooled me if he just wanted to take my car. Yeah, I mean, Alex, I really think that like this is a good story, but you let a stranger pull you over to the side of the road. Mess oh, yeah. with your vehicle, get mm-hmm. in your vehicle, and then you really need to be more careful out in the world, buddy. You so can't. This is do- what I, I, now I who's totally the narc? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is really for a friend. I'm not reporting I, them. To I appreciate anybody. it. You, no, just, the, you're narking right now no, on, this on is, Alex's. This is what I'm saying though this. about this not being that bad of a thing. Like I was like a little shook up afterwards because I was like, yeah, I for sure could have gotten murdered just now. Um, well, yeah, you could have could have gotten robbed. You could have gotten hurt. I mean, there's you For really sure. should not have put yourself so, in that situation. Here's why it's a good. Here's why it's a good outcome. So I was not late for dinner. 
And I got to meet a con man, which is interesting. And I learned the lesson that I should not trust people in Los Angeles. Now I'm in the big city now and I need to be safer. Big city and boy. I learned that for free. Yeah. So it really is. Uh, uh, it, I was a lucky lesson. And well, and actually like the, to, I don't want to go too far. Uh, this has already gone too long, but I, um, uh, he originally tried to stop me on this like kind of sketchy road behind the grocery store that I was on and I ignored him. And so by the time he caught up with me, we were in a nicer neighborhood where there were like people walking around and stuff. And so I think my uh, assumption that anyone honking is a crazy person is validated because if I had pulled over when he wanted to, he could have certainly been more intimidating. And I think because having read the stories about him in Houston, he definitely would have like gotten intense if i had for not giving him money and i think i lucked out that we'd driven into like a fancy ass neighborhood on accident and there were all these people around so i really really lucked out and uh yeah i'm not gonna stop for anybody else and part of it is just that i'm like just like i don't know i'm like six foot and i'm not attractive and so i just feel like no one wants to hurt me whoa hey okay i'm just look let's be let's be honest you know i'm in hollywood um I am oh, right. not. Yeah, no, you're not anymore. No. Yeah, you're... <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just not the, like I just had I have kind of a bro safety mentality where it's just like people are not trying to hurt me all the time. And I know that that is incredibly privileged. Um, and it did get me in trouble in this case because the, the uh, like certainly my wife would not have pulled over for this guy. Uh, she would have been like, no, you fucker. I'm going to, if my car's broken, cool. Meet me at the DMV or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's where not they fix go, cars. If not car breaks the DMV. I know. Yeah, I was that's just, where they fix it. <laughs> she's, she's not good at cars either, but she does know not to talk to creepy looking guys. Anyway, that's, so that's what I watched this week is my life flash before my eyes in my car. Um, now we have a couple minutes left to do a podcast about <laughs> a movie. Uh, we're continuing on with season three. This is uh, a slightly condescending film school. And our episode today is about the 1952 film Singing in the Rain. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't try to Google it with a G on the end. It's singing. There's oh, no, yeah. It's real uh, casual. Only the one G. Uh, singing in the Rain, 1952. The um, This came up a lot last week during our midterms because it was a movie that was featured prominently in that film studies 101 class or intro to film class. It's also a movie that I watched in an intro to film class back in high school. And so it feels like, and my wife watched it in a film intro to film class in college. So I do feel like this is a classic intro to film uh, movie. So even though I picked this, um, Hunter, why don't you start out? Like, why is this movie on so many intro to film studies curricula do you think uh so i think uh so the answer is that comedy musical films are uh it's a really important genre especially when it comes to classic film because it's uh basically dead now uh except for cats which lives on forever uh la la land got best picture temporarily oh yeah whatever uh it's it's a kind of it's it's a weird genre of film because it kind of comes in and it comes out yeah. um, and it takes on different forms and has different levels of like class and sophistication. What's interesting about singing into the rain and what I think I really love about it is that it finds a way to. So like the hardest part about having a musical film is how are you going to get those dang old songs in there? You know, because mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense. And uh, I mean, honestly, uh, growing up, doing like theater and stuff, I kind of always loathed musicals and I still kind of do oh, actually. So this is kind of an interesting pick because I actually feel more like the Alex of this one. Cause like musicals can kind of make me grumpy. Um, I like singing in the rain. I don't know if this is the first time that a film did this, but it kind of has the like meta 
uh, it has the meta way of dealing with having music numbers in it in that they are making musicals. They are, it, it is a musical about making movies and making musicals. But, so, and so they're walking- like a jukebox musical. The music is still diegetic. Like it is still yeah. happening. Well, the- most of it is, although some of it is like, yeah, sorry, it is all that, but and 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 some of the, but it goes back and forth where some of the songs does, are yeah. a character expressing their feelings, kind of has it and both some, ways, and some of them are like, I'm just walking by a random musical number, and we're gonna watch it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, which is super interesting. That I, I like musicals a whole lot. I have I have always enjoyed musicals, and my parents showed me a lot of classical musicals, including this one, which I watched a bunch of times as a kid. Um, uh, this is also a musical that has like some songs that would come up on like PBS. That's entertainment uh, right. that my parents would watch from time to time. So I've like seen some of the numbers more than than others. Um, I've I know random facts about the way they made the street for the rain scene or whatever that I've seen just like incidentally when my parents were watching something. Um, but most of like I st- the thing that irritates me in musicals is when it feels shoehorn. The song doesn't make sense. Yeah. That- part is a, is a little bit grating and this movie i would say nails it except for well, two songs well and that's so you know i think specifically that's very ironic with this yes. movie because the job the, literally was shoehorned songs into yeah, it that we like, already yes. they're all this, just songs to be shoehorned <laughs> this yes. movie is like imagine if someone came up to like you two and was like hunter alex I need you to write a movie. Here's a bunch of Beck songs from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we just have these lying around. Make yeah. it work. Yeah, okay, well, we already own the rights to this. Make this movie. It's what's a terrible the story assignment. about? Uh, I don't know. Fucking figure it out. <laughs> He's a loser. You got it. You know. Uh, I mean, and, well, I mean, our answer would probably be similar to this one, which would be like, well, can we make the movie about Beck trying to write yeah. music? Well, like, I that mean, what, what I love about this movie is I think that you know. The intro to film studies is very interesting because I think that this is one of those movies that is such like there's a lot of courses that this would be on the intro to. You know, I think that mm. the intro to dancing or film yeah. choreography, mm-hmm. this would be on there. The uh, yeah. There's uh, just the music composition. There's just so many things about this movie that are wildly um, uh, like. Still yeah, like quite a bit. Mu- music rights law and plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, def- health stuff. Don't smoke four packs a day and then right. uh, do the, uh, you got to make them laugh scene. You end up in the hospital for like a week. Is that uh, true? I didn't know that yeah, part. The, I know a lot of fun facts about this movie, but not that one. The actor. Uh, Donald O'Connor. Yeah, he had, was in the, he had, was hospitalized for multiple days after filming that. Really? Because because uh, why you was he smoking be. that it much? It was so dangerous. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. he he just liked to smoke four packs a day, and it got him four days in the hospital. Jesus um, Christ! I yeah. love Donald O'Connor in this yeah. movie. By the way, though, yeah, he is great. I and I don't know his other work, but he is a classic like clowning genius in this movie. And he's his yeah his his timing and ev- his, his everything he says is so goddamn funny from the beginning of the movie where like three stars get out and everyone screams. And then he steps out of his car and everybody goes, ah, Oh, yeah. like it's, it's that off to the races for the rest of the movie with him. Yeah, this so, so good. You know, it also has that interesting thing. Like I think another film history thing is that because it is about this specific moment in film going from yeah. silence to talking, yeah. which isn't a, a period you see very much. Um, 
I think that's another big part of it. You know, that you get to see like really old fashioned film sets. There's so many totally images, and, and a little filmmaking process, and yeah. also there's that the the fun of watching people say this isn't real, it's not going to catch on, which is always a, a mm-hmm. hilarious with outdated with technology that is such an important part of our lives. Yeah, it, um, I I truly love this movie. I'm a big oh, musical good. fan. Yes, uh, I, I knew I you. Prefer, I knew it. I prefer on stage musicals myself uh rather than i like move film musicals but i do think a lot of film musicals are bad uh, especially of the last like 10 15 years mm-hmm. um they've gotten it's just it's a very difficult thing it's probably one it of is, the hardest yeah. uh things to adapt to film just because well, how you shoot it how you choreograph it but this movie gets to like these really long takes that really tell a story with all the dancing and singing and just like the way they, uh, it's like hypnotizing, especially the, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the song when all three of them are dancing through his like house, his Spanish and, castle. Yeah. And they're going from <laughs> like the living room to the kitchen and back. And they're like using all these props and just like, yep running like dancing up and down stairs of the type of yep. thing like as i get older and i think about like holy shit like of course her feet were bleeding by the end yeah. of this thing yeah. i couldn't imagine <laughs> the dancing that is so incredible yeah it and, almost and... makes me feel this sense of like man acting used to be hard you know oh it my used god to be so really hard. really hard <laughs> like, yeah re- yeah you remember when you had to be a you had to be a triple threat yeah, and now you yeah. can just be one threat, and that's pretty good. And be a real asshole on the set and yell <laughs> yeah. at everyone nowadays. Nah. It's... I, uh, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I mean, I obviously I, per, I love stage musicals as well. One thing about movie musicals, though, is that they are um, available. Like, um, you're just so limited in what you can watch on stage and how often. And there is something that's like beautiful about theater, and also very like it's also frustrating. Where it's like I'll never get, I can't go watch that again. Mm-hmm. Like. My, my wife and I try to see a handful of, of of interesting theater shows a year. And like we, some of our favorite memories are discussing like this show we saw 10 years ago that was so crazy. And, but it also I kind of want to watch it again and I can't. But, I mean, I think one that that fact is one of my favorite things about live theater is the fact that like, even if I see that show again, it's not going to be the one I saw. True. Right. Very true, yeah. Uh, yeah. But to me, it's, yeah, like I said, the, like, if you look at, like, especially modern musicals, uh, most of them, like, I actually f- fairly enjoyed La La Land, but I think a yeah, lot think of that is like because it, yeah. we're in a sea, a desert of, you know, the, the Les Mises and Cats and Chicago's of the world where they just, like, the choreography is like, why even have dancing in this movie? You're cutting so much. This is just shitty. Like. Yeah, musicals have lost because of like the need to like hyper stylize that they lose so much to what they use. I I wonder, too, is that maybe so just just a guess and you could tell me if I'm off base. But I think the fact that so many were made in a period and then only the hits have survived. But now they're only make so maybe it is like one in 10 movie musicals is good. And we just only watch the one now. Whereas mm. there's been like four movie musicals in the last five years. So if one in 10 are good, we might not have any good ones yet. Yeah. I mean, what I was thinking about when I was watching this movie last night, this is kind of a random, but like thought, but like the idea of the transition from like silent films to talkies to musicals being like this huge prevalent genre. And it's like how much that makes sense 
Like, if you're going to add sound to film, of mm-hmm. course, musicals becoming this huge, you know, decades long genre is like very natural. And to mm-hmm. me, it's the same way I feel about like comic book movies nowadays. Like, with the rise of CG, comic book movies were always the natural next big wave in cinema. That I do, I feel that like those movies are almost going to be the same thing. That fifty years from now, people will be like, "Oh, the classic comic book movie," because we'll only oh, remember sure. eight. I'm, of them. I'm confident about you that. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, um, yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I will also because the, at the time it was also like a, the peak of Broadway musicals being um, popular culture. Um, I think uh, there's that the one <laughs> one of the two, that was my understanding from my brief reading about this. I before. think it's I, I would say that this is the time where they are they're at the highest the apex of their uh, cultural popularity and also there's so many of them being made at mm-hmm. this point basically. So, they definitely so, make way more money nowadays, but that's just because sure, yeah, everything yeah. is inflated, you know. Right, and also most of the shows on Broadway were successful movie franchises first. Now. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't, that if, if for some reason that bothers me in a way that like a book to a movie is like a thing I've accepted, but a movie to a Broadway show irritates me. That does, um, that irritates me too, because it feels like it, I don't know. It, it feels like a movie, the things that movies are good at, um, I feel like don't as easily go back the other way as like, like, I feel like the transfer, it really feels like you're losing something that direction. I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I well, mean, I mean, I mean like, ob- like Beauty and the Beast is also, or not Beauty and the Beast, sorry, uh, Lion King is also like one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had is watching mm-hmm. the Lion King stage show. And I have heard that like a lot of the other, other adaptations are great. Uh, uh, the producers was really fun. I saw the producers on Broadway and it's fun. Um, although that is a movie about making a mus- a Broadway show. So it makes well, a lot also of sense. That was, that was a broad, that was a show first and then was yeah. All right, are you saying that Shrek the musical is an incredible Alex? Well, so I don't know. I haven't heard about Shrek, and I'm guessing it's the worst. But my it's actually uh, my, a bunch of Tonys because nothing really? makes sense anymore. Yeah, I've heard that SpongeBob is actually great. Yeah, I heard Beetlejuice was incredible, and I, that people just like came that to too. Yeah, and, and, oh, I can't totally handle that. But and also Mean Girls <laughs> is playing was was supposed to be opening in LA this week, and we can't it can't obviously. But anyway, I so um. Oh, so but because in the 50s, this was like a a peak, a a golden age for musicals and uh, both on Broadway and in movies, um, they do this modern number. And that's one of the two songs that I don't that every time I've watched this movie, probably 30 times. And every time I check out hard. Wait, which one? The where he's explaining that they're adding a modern sequence at the beginning of their movie. The the Broadway number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're going through like different set after set after set after set. Yes, yeah. we're like that the same first fucking rules, man. It starts out. Me. It starts out good, and then all of a sudden, there's like an eight minute sequence where he's with a mob with the mob, and then there's this incredible dance number with a twenty four foot scarf. Yeah, that's that also, incredible. But I have, it's great, but also I don't know why any of it's happening, and I don't. I, it's just it, it's that, not anchored that, by the story. It's it's yeah. you, it, you are it's literally so just far. watching everyone do their craft that's it yes well, yeah i mean so that I, one loses me because that one feels like and then and they do it they do, i mean it's it's like 10 minute long uh series of songs and dances and then the punchline is uh the the producer rf going i don't see it 
which is very funny timing wise. But it is like every time I watch the movie, I get like a little bored during that one because it just I doesn't mean, make any sense to me. To me, it's just like the technique, like the idea of like that scarf sequence in particular. Like, yeah, trying to film that and actually filming that must yeah. have been such a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and my other things I love, I don't know if you know, notice like the weird little cut in like the mob dance one when no, he, yeah, like, it's, he, he's holding a bad a, cut. There's a really yeah. bad cut in that. Well, it's oh, because, I didn't notice. yeah. So if you're watching that sequence when he's holding it, she goes from like two positions very quickly and it's this mm-hmm. odd cut. And that was just because I guess they did something that the censors found too oh. sexual and force them to cut oh, out like a few yeah. seconds of film. Uh, but I've always wondered like, what could they have? Cause it's like, it's a, it's not like they were like, okay, yeah. And then for this one second, we're going to get really gross. It could not yeah, have in the middle of this long stylized yeah. song. She just pulls out a boob and he licks it. And then they put yeah. it back. <laughs> like, it could not have possibly been that risque. I've always wondered what, yeah. what was that? Yeah. Um, but, but I, that that song loses me, and the other part that loses me a little bit is the beautiful girl number, and uh, where they're just like walking by, and then it's a guy saying it's a it's another little medley, but he's oh, just talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the funny the trans- costumes are ve- like the costumes are very funny, but that song is weird and gross, and yeah, also like just, there's like that kaleidoscope effect though that really kind of. It's kind of jarring. It's just kind of out of nowhere. He he has this yeah. carnival barker thing pointed at the camera, and then they do this yes. like composite shot with the kaleidoscope effect, which it's I really assume weird. is like of the time in some way. But it also yeah. is just bizarre feeling. Those two songs lose me, and the rest of the movie I I think is flawless. The only song that really pulled me out on this rewatch, and it didn't really pull me out as much as like, oh yeah, this is the song he sings at the end of it, or she sings at the end of Alien. Uh, it's the very last song in this movie. I completely <laughs> forgot that, but it was—I just was thinking that's a nice way to tie back into the show. Uh, that <laughs> Alien and this both end on the same exact musical, right? Number. I mean, yeah, and Different. the similarities go from there. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, so I guess so. So Hunter, since you feel like the Alex of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those are the two parts that lose me, and I think everything else is perfect. Um, a couple of tiny exceptions I'll, I'll, I'll mention if they come up. But um, so how do you? So you were starting to say like you normally feel such and such about musicals. And no, I, th- I I mean I think this in a lot of ways it kind of sidesteps a lot of the things that I consider are like pitfalls of like filmed musicals. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I think the dissonance of like why why people are singing uh is can be weird. I even think in this movie it is a little bit weird. Like we were talking before about how the rules seem to be n- they're not concrete. Um yes. sometimes they are actually singing, sometimes they're doing the musical thing where they're singing but they're not re- they're not actually singing. It's like we're in like another world where people and the way they express themselves is like this and we're we're meant yes. to take something yeah, deeper that, from that so that's the kind of thing that normally would bother me is switching between those two where if because like yeah so like the when he professes his love in this beautiful set mm-hmm. that he's built for her um he sings to her and if she had said wait, wait why are you singing that's weird um <laughs> that would break the universe right because right, we believe yes, that yes. this is the normal thing that he's doing but then when they watch 
people make musicals where they are singing things. They're like, oh, they're singing. That's normal. And they're not yeah. like, so it does going back and forth is a little bit weird. And yet maybe it's because I saw it early on when I was um, uh, more willing to suspend disbelief, but that does, does not bother me. And I think it sometimes would. So I'm a little surprised. I mean, I, I don't, I think I, I understand the rules of a musical. It's not that it's not that those things that I'm not used to those things so much as like the way the film handles that I think says a lot about how successful it's going to be with me. And the, the meta musical is I think the best device in order to, to handle that. It is, it is fairly it's, it gets its use. Like it's, it's in a, I mean, the producers does that. Uh, I guess Chicago does that somewhat. Mulan. Oh yeah. 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 Good point. Uh, yes, all it's of It's a lot of a lot of successful musicals have that meta aspect to just kind of so that you can navigate the, the world. Music man. Yeah, yeah. Um, For real. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty common thing. Um, yeah, but yeah. So I I I just feel like this is the first time we talked about a movie where this is a genre I I struggle with. It's not that I don't watch musicals. I watch plenty. I've seen some. I don't. Did I talk about Finian's Rainbow before on the show? I forget if no. I did. That's an awful movie that I've seen. Uh, it's the last Fred Astaire musical, and oh, it is about really? a leprechaun. Yeah, and it's actually, um, at one point, I had decided I wanted to watch every Coppola movie um, because oh. I just felt like it because uh, he has just such a long career and there's like some of the best movies ever made and also these very sh- weird stinkers. Oh, um, yeah. And Finian's <laughs> Rainbow is a weird stinker and is cr- like the level it's the problematic elements of the story are like nuclear level like i cannot believe the story of the movie is essentially that there's this this guy who's like the mayor of this town and he's white and this leprechaun this kind of like kind of shitty leprechaun uh changes his race to a different race and now the whole conflict is changing him back to the his correct race. Um, and oh. that was probably the nicest way I could describe the plot. Um, and also wow, that's Fred really a- weird. Yeah. A uh, very strange movie, horrible musical numbers and Fred Astaire, uh, who, I mean, obviously is great, but um, he's kind of old at this point. And the way that they're trying to get around the fact that I guess his footwork wasn't what it used to be is to just not, to cut him off at the feet with the oh. camera, which do- just doesn't quite work, you know? No, that doesn't um, make any doesn't, sense. Yeah, it doesn't really make me think about what I'm not seeing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I I just feel like it's a, it's a type that I've never quite cl- clicked with because I feel like musicals are best in the theater because that dissonance of like what you're seeing, you when when, when you watch a movie, the camera is your kind of signal for your suspension of disbelief. And if you, if you mix in a lot of theatrical techniques with that, I feel like everything can get a bit confusing. Um, Whereas if I go to a theater, I understand that I'm watching a musical and there's a lot, I'm going to have to fill in a lot of this with my imagination. And it's weird that sometimes movies, movie musicals do a little bit of both of like, Um. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. I was going to ask if you're a fan of, uh, if either of you are a fan of John Carney's work. Oh, I don't know. Like, 
Uh, he's an Irish filmmaker. He did like Once and Sing Street. No, um, not any of those. Not that I'm not a fan. He's done a few other movies, but they're all musicals. Uh, Sing Street, I can't suggest enough. I love it. Came out like mm-hmm. oh. three, four years ago. Um, but all of his movies are about musicians. Yeah. So all the music, they have long musical numbers, but it's not like dancing and singing. They're just musicians playing music. Um, so all the music makes sense within the yeah. context of the movie. Uh, once, like a star is born. Yeah. Once it's actually got made or like a cabaret or something like that, uh, which is another musical that totally fucks. Um, but once is a movie that like got made into a Broadway show, but that is like, um, I really love the way he shot it with like, it's mostly like a street performances and he shot it with like really long telephoto lenses so they could, mm-hmm. the crew could be really far back as the musicians just played on the street. Um, but yeah, I, I, if you're not a big fan of like kind of the breaking reality music, uh, musicals, I would definitely suggest checking out his stuff. Like Sing Street, I think is on Amazon or Netflix. It's a delight if you're looking for like a really good, feel good movie. It's a movie a lot of people slept on, uh, but mm-hmm. I cannot suggest Sing Street enough. I love it. So Hunter, I wanted to, I, we, we um, talked so long in the first half of the show that we're going to have to keep our discussion here pretty short. So oh, just, right, right, I have right. a couple of quick questions I want to ask in a second, but, but my one wrap up of this part is like, what is there that you can take from your being on this side of this discussion? This is a fun switch Rooney. So mm-hmm. what can you, what advice from being on this side can you give me uh, about how, uh, like, what do you do on when you're on this side of a genre that you think is a better way to to think about film, maybe? How do, um, how do you I mean, approach something like this that I could take as advice? Well, you know me. I'm pretty generous um, you are, with, you are. like, just in my in my thinking about stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, like, even the way I phrase it of, like, musicals are a genre I struggle with. I don't, I, I, w- I know that they are good. I know that there is quality in them. Well, so and even, you, honestly, so Singing in the Rain you know is great. Struggle. Do what? How do you approach something generously that you know is a struggle? Um, I just try and be patient with it. You just kind of like you you give something a chance. You don't you don't like judge too quickly, um, and you look for things to like about something. Uh, I think is important finding things to admire about it. I think one of the things that that I struggle with, and that I think Singing in the Rain kind of had in Spades that helped me enjoy it, was I think sometimes with movie musicals there's a struggle of okay, so how are we going to shoot this that isn't just like a bunch of pretty straightforward camera setups? Because the things that we're, tr- that there's so many things that we have to, that has to make it into the frame. We need to see everyone dancing. Like it's, it just feels like there's a lot of uh, requirements for musicals that you don't necessarily have. Like if you're just making any other type of movie, it might be, we're just going to make up our own way to get into this scene. Um, however, we feel like it. Um, but singing in the rain had these like beautiful crane shots and like the sets were so amazing that I could like really appreciate the craft. Even if, even when the movie would lose me at times, basically. Interesting. That's really cool. Definitely think the, um, Gene Kelly co-directing with another like choreographer, like when you, when you get people on the backside of the camera who really have an appreciation 
mm-hmm. and like the technical skill for what's happening on the other side, they really know how to shoot that type of stuff. It's the reason why mm-hmm. like stuntmen, like the John Wick guys, right? You know, started as stuntmen, know how to shoot action so well because they you know spent so much time doing it that they know what captures it really well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, can you think of another example of uh, that I haven't heard of? <laughs> that's a shitty question. Is there <laughs> another example of somebody jumping across the camera who had a different job before? Oh, well, I mean, um, I would say you know, when you think you see, made like, better at it. Set designers who like people who start in that who end up making movies that are like visually super rich. Um, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I definitely know there's a lot of examples of that. Okay. Um, there's so a lot of like DPs setup, that that do yeah. that. There's the Coen Brothers DP that made what is his name? Gary, he made Gary Men Seinfeld. in Black. Gary Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he started as a DP and ended up going on to you know directing a bunch of great movies. That's cool. Uh, um. Okay, so I guess my last question that I want to talk about about this. So this just kind of harken back to I, I said early on that it seems maybe on the oscars episode it seems like a lot of things that are considered to be really great and really important uh in film are about film in some mm-hmm. way <laughs> um so and, and back then my you know back when i was um uh dumb um about film i thought that was super up its own ass but now uh, as an enlightened person um, I feel like it's interesting because it, sh- it, it teaches me about the thing that I did wanted to learn more about. And, um, and also it's a, it's, it's a cool window into this process, uh, oh. that is normally invisible. Is that like, what else, what else do you uh, guys take from the fact that they're all, I would uh, say up- that there's sort of two sides to that one. I think yeah. from your point of view, that's like awesome. And I definitely think that like seeing these things makes you appreciate them more. I think the other side of that and the real answer is what your initial response to that was. The reason why movies about movies win Oscars is because people in movies love to think that they're more important than they are. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think, I think like that's, Alice, like what you said, that's like genuinely true, and I think that's fucking awesome. And I, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, as someone who grew up watching movies, I love movies that are, you know, sort of about that and about, um, you know, like that feeling and sort of like help you learn about stuff. But the actual truth about why, if you look at, you know, from Shape of Water to Ergo to The Artist mm-hmm. uh, to La La Land to all these, you know, last few years, and this is throughout true throughout all of movie making. Uh, it's because they just. If your movie shows Hollywood being the hero, it's just going to do better at award shows. Uh, um, so, okay. Well, um, so the the last thing then is about that. Uh, springboarding off that, though, this is about a specific time period when they're changing from one, uh, like, a, a, a obviously, the probably one of the biggest uh, paradigm shifts in film. What are the other paradigm shifts in film that I should know about? And uh, what? Yeah, that's a great question. Widescreen? I mean, you know, you have black and white silent to black and white to uh, sound to black and white to color. You have widescreen, but, you know, you have a lot of like cinema scope. You have all these other technologies that kind of fell by the wayside. So were those Uh, are those more incrementalist or were those watershed moments the way that talkie and color were? Um, you know, widescreen was definitely a pretty big one because it just, you know, gave Otis more that? canvas to work with. 
Uh, I don't know the exact date, but sometime in the 60s is when I would guess widescreen films became a thing. Okay. Um, but also, you know, it's not like, you know, people still shoot movies. It's very rare in like 4 by 3 now, but widescreen definitely. And also, I think, you know, widescreen was a, a lot like the way like 3D was, you know, like once TVs became more and more popular, they wanted to get a, people a reason to still go see movies in the theaters. So they did something the TVs couldn't do, which is add 16 by 9 instead of 4 by 3. So that's why right. TVs were 4 by 3 forever while movies got, you know, wider so, on the edge. I, 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 you mentioned 3D, and I won because I, I, I was thinking about that a lot during that scene where RF is like, it'll never catch on, it's stupid. Because I was, I'm worried that like my hatred of 3D is going to be like RF, and I can see why people would be like, "Look, these other paradigm shifts were so huge, we have to get ahead of this." But I'm sure there are other things that also were like gimmicks that did not work, and I, besides just 3D, a couple of other times that it tried to be a thing. Well, I mean, uh, 3D, you know. like, I think, like you just said, 3D has been around since the 50s. It's it's just it's going to keep changing eventually. You probably won't need, like, you know, not anytime soon, soon, but eventually you won't need glasses for 3D movies, right? Well, that I will say, well, I, will just get there one day. My <laughs> dis- my hatred of 3D is two has two main things over everything else. One is that where I wear glasses and you can't put glasses over glasses and have it be fun. That's not a good experience that way. And two is that you charge me extra for something uh, that seems sort of arbitrary. And so if you, which. The second one probably will always be the case, even if they can beam the 3D into my mind. But it does seem like, maybe, yeah, if they fix that other technological problem, it would I would be softer to it for sure. Yeah, and but I mean, there's also you can look at stuff like IMAX formats, or I mean, if uh, if you want to get honestly, the biggest watershed moment was you know the the death of film projection and the rise of digital. Right, oh, that's something yeah. most people didn't actually notice. Um, yeah but i mean there is a huge difference in the picture quality it's just the type of thing that most people don't really think about or don't really notice but it changes the entire you know backside pipeline uh so i I would i guess i kind of i benefit from the experience of digital in that they can do a million takes now for cheap and so i'm seeing different things get shot that you would not be able to shoot before um, but I, I don't notice that that's happening, but that's definitely happened as part of that. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, even in like the digital projection, right? It's like it's a well, completely actually, different thing than I'm super bummed about that because I've always wanted to see the film catch fire, and I just missed that whole thing. Uh, well, that's films never having caught fire in decades too. They stopped making film a very flammable stuff in like the fifties. Hugely disappointing. Yeah, anything <laughs> else in here? Is there what else would you say for like watersheds that I should either know about or how you think about those? I mean, it's hard to say what is I mean, what's as big as talkies and or even no, I mean, even color doesn't feel as big as talkies. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Well, no, color is that big. Thinking about like wizard I, no, I, or whatever. I, that I think you're probably right. It's definitely this is like a bigger step, and it's I guess it's harder to imagine that people thought it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Because 
showing people moving their mouths and then putting the text on screen. Like no one could possibly have thought that's the better way to do it than but hearing their expectations the were wrong. Like that's what I love about that scene is that it shows you why they're not getting it because their expectations for what movies do and how they work are so specific that they don't understand even that they're hearing a person from the screen. You know what I mean? Like at, when it starts, they're like, oh, there's somebody talking yeah. behind the screen because that's yeah. how their brain interprets it because their expectation is not that this picture can talk to me directly. Well, that's so interesting, too, because when I when I heard that, I was like, yeah, why didn't they just do that? Why not just have actors with <laughs> microphones doing the voices? I don't know. Because, I mean, it's just it's an issue of scale. Yeah, it doesn't scale, it, it well, doesn't scale very well. well. But at that pre at that premiere, they all of the first one, they did have a whole orc and at the last one, they yeah. have an orchestra there. So that that well, doesn't I mean, scale either. You know, like that's how like movies used to have live no, I, music. And then I know it, it sounds to, incredible. I'm just saying that's the same. If you can have 14 violins, you can also have two voice actors. Yeah, but I'm saying it's like you would have, so you would have had big theaters, you would have live orchestras, smaller ones would have like records, essentially, that would play during it. Like, and that there were like a bunch of different techniques. It went down to some theaters you would go to would just have a pianist, or some of them would just have a record. You know, it was a long time until they figured out how to, like, even the change of putting audio on the film itself was like a yeah. huge advancement that yeah, I changed was looking the way. up what this um what was it the um the Warner Brothers machine that they were using um to attach was the record was like record player was like um welded onto the thing anyway I can't remember what it's called a, v- a vitascope or something like that um Anyway, uh, I was looking at the technology, and it's, it's really interesting. And the, the uh, also the fact that it's on film is crazy, or was on film, is also like a fascinating technology. I guess that's something I hadn't really thought that much about. And this is an interesting thing too to take from this: is just the way technology influences this medium. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's true of all art forms. I just listened to a great podcast about like inventing different paint and and how that process plays into painters' abilities and what they can create. Uh, they invent new colors all the time. Um, anyway, but I haven't thought, it seems like it affects film so fundamentally over mm-hmm. and over and over again, that that's a really interesting concept. It's, I mean, it's kind of just like we make what we can kind of yeah. deal. Like it, you're not going to make something that's that you don't have the right tools to make at all. Basically. And do you I feel mean, like there's like the constraints are one of the things that make things great? Or do you think that there would be a point where we could just like, you could make, I don't know, like if animation was so easy that all you did was think a thing and then the program rendered the face exactly as you pictured it doing what it literally whatever you want in any scene and it looked photorealistic and you could just make all the now actors. I, th- and characters I, forever. I mean, this we're just getting purely philosophical now, but I think in that situation, it would it would cease to have meaning or be interesting, actually, because there's yeah. no struggle. That's exactly what it. I was asking. And I meant yeah. it philosophically. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think that going into that kind of idea, if you really want to talk about like big film, Watershed, the rise of like visual effects was definitely yeah. probably the last big one, you know, with yeah. Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 was sort of like yeah. completely changed the way movies are made. And- Interesting. All right. Well, um, I guess I want to wrap my uh, with one very quick. So um, is this okay? Which is I was enjoying so much the romance with Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds, <laughs> where it seemed like 
they actually what I liked about it as an on-screen romance uh, is that they seem to have a lot of stuff in common and they also made each other laugh and smile in a way that I thought was really cool. Like, I really like how their romance takes place on this thing. Um, yeah. And I think so many movies that show people falling in love quickly um, don't give me any of those little nuggets. But like the fact that she worked in the Coconut Grove and he used to work on that in on vaudeville doing fit as a fiddle is like these two characters have so much to talk about when they're hanging out. And the fact that they didn't like each other, but then they came to like each other for like pretty genuine reasons. I thought that was really great. Anyway, he's literally more than double her age. And uh, it mostly doesn't bother me. But then every once when they do a close up of Gene Kelly, and you'd be like, oh, those are old man eyes. I can't. I feel so bad that this 20 year old who can't even drink yet has to look into those crusty eyes and like pretend to love him. And that made me feel real weird. So anyway, right, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. That's the type of thing, like, that is, gr- like, gross and always bothersome, but that is the tale as old as time in Hollywood. It's one of those things, I, of course. I feel bad that I've become numb to it. Uh, it is the type of thing that, like, if I see a movie now, it does bug me when, like, Tom Cruise has a love interest that is, like, right, 40 yeah. years Jesus. younger than him. Um, it's like, who are you fooling, Tom? But it is the type <laughs> of thing that it's just, like, one of those, you have to, you know, I... Personally, I think in this movie, there's something about, um, because I know Debbie Reynolds mostly as the older mother of Princess Leia, that even right. though I know she's young in this, I just like feel that she's much older. Interesting. Um, and Gene Kelly, I think, is a very good-looking older man. I agree. Uh, so Except it, for every it, once in a while on a real close-up, I totally agreed. I don't get that. Even on his real close-ups, I there just, some I'm old just, eyes. There's some I'm old just man eyes. I just see this thing. Is I'm not looking at his eyes. I'm looking at that smile. And well, I, I will admit see... that my wife did point it out, and then after that, I noticed it. But it, I, I guess it's only. I, I I I agree with exactly what you said. The thing that is a little bit annoying is that in one of the first scenes of the movie, they make fun of a young act- actress with this old man and they and my like the the vo- the announcer lady goes like she's had so many like sad marriages hopefully this time it's real love and the guy just looks befuddled about why he's there and it's anyway they're like making fun of that thing and then they are that thing uh also can i do a uh is this okay type yes. of thing something i had never noticed or thought about till the end of this movie so i get that uh linda the uh other actress right that's her name is they definitely start trying to make her Gene Hagen? the 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 actress with the high voice. Yeah, yeah. Gene Hagen yeah. is the Gene, actress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so but that, the her character's name. Is that Linda? It's Lena, or, right? Lena? Or, yeah. Lena. Lena. Okay, Lena, Lena. Okay. Whatever. So they really in the last act just give like two scenes to really kind of make her seem monstrous when she doesn't really do anything before that. That's too bad. Yeah. But I was watching this movie and they got to the end and that's a really harsh thing they do to her in that, in front of that giant audience. And like, I get she was kind of, you know, kind of being shitty and definitely oh, yeah. letting it go to her <laughs> head. But being embarrassed like that, like playing a joke like that in front of all these people at a film premiere, uh-huh. um, like, I was watching a making-of thing on the Blu-ray last night, and two writers were talking about it, and they said, like, yeah, I've always imagined she just went home and killed herself that night. Oh, God. Like, Jesus Christ, that's harsh. <laughs> but then I thought about it, and I was like, 
Yeah, that's a pretty intense. She, I don't. She deserved some kind of comeuppance, not to be like humiliated on a giant stage like that. Hunter, what it was, you had a response to that. It sounded like. Well, I mean, I do. Uh, I don't. So, I think the the problem with the formula of her villainy is that we have this studio head who is like sort of being a like a capitalist about it but he's a good capitalist and he wants things to work out the correct way but all all Lena is trying to do is like kind of exercise her rights when it comes to like her I don't, it just feels like the way they're trying to communicate her villainy of her being like I read about my contract and I'm going to use I have a lawyer and I'm going to figure out how to make this work specifically for me. Um, I feel like doesn't land hard enough to warrant. Yeah. Her level. I, I feel like it's more about method and less about her character because she does have, seem like she's really evil. Interesting. So I, yeah, I guess my two thoughts in response to that on why I'm okay with how it happens. Um, it, one is the scene, the first scene where we're introduced to her, where she treats Gene Kelly like shit until she finds out he's writ, he's going to be famous, and then she's like super nice to him. Right. And so we do get this like, she is like using people kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is her overwhelming, because she's not like mean for most of it. She's sort of an idiot. And she's, in a, but specifically, she has a blind spot for herself and her situation. She has no self-awareness of anything, yeah, including yeah. what her voice sounds like. So like the scenes of her learning with the dictation coach where she says back in a terrible, unsimilar way. And then is like, that's what I'm saying. Um, that level of unself-aware makes me feel like the only thing that will ever show her this is if you are, if you like, it has, she has to feel this in order for her to get, that this is that she is hurting people all the time by not noticing what's going on. And um, I also feel like, I guess maybe bonus third is I think the thing that she was doing to, um, cause I, I RF is such a weird character where I go back and forth on it. But the thing that, the thing that Lena wants to do uh, to Debbie Reynolds, it's basically uh, Millie and Vanilli her, which is a pretty well, fucked up situation to put someone up. in. And the the studio was being like super honorable, where they were like, "Look, I would never make someone only a voiceover artist for someone else. We're gonna we're gonna do this whole publicity campaign where we say you liked this voice. Here's the actress, and like make her famous. So it seemed like they were trying to do the right thing, and then this other person basically blackmailed them into eliminating her career and that's pretty rough and so i feel like she deserves to have her career torpedoed back i think it's just that she doesn't do anything like the the evil things that she do she does doesn't have like a very like a very actiony type action to it you know what i mean the only thing she really did was call the papers and give them stories about what a great singing voice she has and it does happen sort of right there at the end yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. i agree but she's been a heel the whole time it's not like she's the first time she was mean to anybody because we've been she was evil when we met her i know but she she doesn't it's almost like it's like they didn't sew in the um the like oh uh the the planting for the payoff of her being pushed out until right before the payoff they gave her too much dumb and not enough evil it feels like in the last 20 minutes of the movie, they're like, oh, shit, we have to set this up real fast. Yeah. Uh, so throw this scene in, throw this scene in. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Also, it makes me want to know, want to th- think more about ADR stuff because, like, it is surprising to me that they never thought of this since it's such a common thing to just mm-hmm. record lines later and even to have other people dub for people. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, like showing that first once you once you invent talkies, then you're like, it's not immediately obvious that you could have someone else do the talking because they do that whole scene where she's like can't figure out where to put the microphone and it would be so easy to just record the microphone separately but they hadn't invented that yet it's really interesting i guess the point i was trying to make was like i think the there's a lot of fucked up aspects of the, like the star system that they're referencing there of like yeah. actors having to sign up like specifically to a movie studio um, yeah five year contract yeah and like actor contracts are still like I mean, well, now pretty much when we talk about actor contracts, we're talking about how much crazy money they just made when they signed so-and-so thing. And it's not like, you know, these people weren't doing poorly, but I just, I don't like watching a movie where the movie's basically saying like, here's the system. What I know about in real life was that it's kind of fucked up, but the movie's trying to excuse like, no, that system isn't the problem. It's this evil lady when I just like, ah, oh, just don't bring that up because you're not the right person to tell me about that. Well, so you know that's what I mean? a great place to place to wrap with a kind of to be continued because I do not know anything about the star system and the early studio system. And, and I don't know anything about it now really either. So if we could find a way to come back and talk a little bit more about the old system and also just how studios work, because we've talked a bit about right. Um, direct, we've talked a lot about directors. We've talked a little bit about producing and I would love to hear more about studios. So let's put that conversation on hold. Okay. Cool, for cool. the future and we'll wrap on singing in the rain right here and that is it for our show ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening we will be back again next week as we always are um through thick and thin through sick and, and sin anyway um we are that's terrible um i'm trying to like, make up catchphrases <laughs> as i keeping go. that no that's the point it is- that stays in <laughs> Anyway, we'll be back again next week. Next week, we are going to be talking about Barry Lyndon, the 1975. Speaking of uh, a guy that hated this studios, (laughs) actually. Uh, This is is Kubrick you're talking about. Yes. Um, So this is a Kubrick film that I have never heard of. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Kubrick and his thoughts on the studio system and also about this movie in particular, which I am, uh, like I said, I've never heard of it. So I have nothing. Give Give me my two sentence preview. Ooh. Uh, red coats. Uh, it's actually the thing about Barry Lyndon is it sounds boring as hell if you hear it described at all. Um, but it uh, is actually really good. Yeah, I'll give you a little uh, something to keep an eye out. A little bit of pre homework for watching it. Uh, a lot of Kubrick's movies were based around a specific innovation he wanted to make. So with Barry oh, so Lyndon, yeah, perfect was, conversation with our technical discussion yeah, we're just having. So when you know, like The Shining was based around Steadicam technology, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Barry oh, Lyndon yeah. was new lenses that allowed for natural lighting. So Barry uh, Lyndon is one. Of, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely one of the first movies that is shot entirely with natural lighting. Uh, oh, interesting. And okay, we're going to talk about lenses next week. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, also, yeah, I guess when we're talking about we're talking about watershed moments, I think probably the most important watershed moment that we need to talk about in film is um, drones. I forgot about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Drones, drones are big. That changed use, everything. Use a lot of drones. You don't have to rent the whole helicopter. helicopter. The pilots out of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Get rid of those guys. Um, anyway. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about Berlin next week and, and about lenses and about technological advancements and studio systems. And, of course, about Stanley Kubrick. 
Yeah. Can we talk a little bit. Like partly the way we came up with it, came to this conclusion was because Singing in the Rain reminds Anthony of uh, of Clockwork Orange. So we're doing a two degrees of separation to get to Barry Lyndon. Um, anyway, please join us for that um, if you can watch the homework and uh, uh, along with us so you can join the conversation. Please send us an email if you have any other questions, things you want us to cover, things you want us to clarify. Um, or things you have to clarify that I have said wrong, all of that and more, uh, email us podcast at readersweep.com. And you can check out the three of us talking about video games and slightly condescending video game school streaming at twitch.tv slash space cats peace turtles this Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific. Twitch.tv slash space cats peace turtles. Space yeah. cats peace turtles. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Mostly it's just come hang out with us. And if you want to hear us chill together, it's a fun way to do it. Thanks for being here, Anthony. Hey, this was a lot of fun. Always a great time. And Hunter, thanks for uh, for plowing through. I know you haven't had enough calories today, so the fact that you were able to stay up for the whole thing is very impressive. Yeah. Ding, dang, dong. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, love maybe, it. Maybe you didn't all the way stay up. Anyway. No, we'll I'm back. right here. Bye. <laughs>